I'm delighted to have Loop as our sponsor for today's podcast. And I honestly love this product because I need it so much in my life. And if you are listening to this podcast, you may be aware of noise sensitivity and the connection with ADHD. Also with misophonia, which is where you can hear people chewing or eating quite loudly. And it is debilitating. And I suffer from this. And so for me, um, loop earplugs have been a game changer because no longer having to hear all of these sensitive noises and this hypersensitivity when you are trying to concentrate or you're trying to work. And I only had this the other day, I was sat next to someone who was breathing so loudly that I couldn't listen to the actual talk that I was meant to be listening to. And all I could hear was the breathing. And I wished I had my loop earplugs then because um, if I had, I know I would have been able to concentrate and focus better. And so it really is something that many of us um, deal with ADHD and sensory overload. The link is real and noise can be a major trigger. And for people with ADHD, it can be harder to concentrate and socialize. So if you are struggling working in a busy office, if there's music in the background, if people are chatting, I would highly recommend using loop earplugs for this because it helps reduce our anxiety and stress because if we can't work, we can't concentrate and we are feeling triggered and we're feeling overwhelmed when we are in this situation and we may have to leave the um, room, we may have to work somewhere quiet quieter. And especially if you are listening to this and you're doing exams or you have are having to work in an, an environment that really matters to get this detailed information out there where you have to concentrate and focus. And it is also difficult when we can hypersensitive to lots of noise with decision-making and processing the information. That's exactly what happened to me when all I could hear was this person breathing really loudly next to me. I wasn't processing the information that I needed to. So what I love about loop earplugs is that they understand ADHD, they understand misophonia, they understand these hypersensitivities, and they specifically have different earplugs for it. So they have one called Experience, which is great for music and events, just dimming the, the noise down, the background noise down slightly. And they've also got something called the Loop Engage, which is good for conversation. So say someone is, the voice is very loud. It could be really off-putting and difficult to engage and communicate. So if we've got our Loop earplugs in, it really does help. And especially in sort of social gatherings, if there's background noise and lots of conversations going on and it can feel really overwhelming. And very often, you know, we want to leave those social situations because it can just feel too overstimulating. So you may also be a parent. And if you are a parent, there's a very high chance you've got an ADHD child in the mix. And we do know about ADHD children, they can be quite noisy. There's lots of energy, lots of stimulus, and they tend to be very sort of loud and noisy and energy. And for us as adults with ADHD, that can be um, really difficult. So I would highly suggest you head over to Loop Earplugs and I have a, a discount code for you. I'm really excited um, to be able to offer this to you. It's 10%. So if you head to the show notes of today's podcast, you will see, you just click on that link and it will take you straight through to the 10% discount. And then you'll be able to see the different Loop Earplugs, which are right for you and you can make a decision. But if you click on the ADHD section on the Loop website, 
it will give you more information. Or if it is misophonia that you are wanting more help with, they have a whole section on there. So it's a really fantastic website that really helps you understand where those noise sensitivities are and which earplug to help you with. So just head to the show notes of today's episode and you'll see my loop discount code and link there. Now back to today's episode. Welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef and I'm a wellbeing and lifestyle coach, EFT practitioner, mum to four kids and passionate about helping more women to understand and accept their amazing ADHD brains. After speaking to many women just like me and probably you, I know there is a need for more health and lifestyle support for women newly diagnosed with ADHD. In these conversations, you'll learn from insightful guests, hear new findings and discover powerful perspectives and lifestyle tools to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm and purposeful life wherever you are on your ADHD journey. Here's today's episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, I'm your host. And today we're actually talking about ADHD and obesity. Now, I've talked about ADHD and binge eating disorder way back at the beginning of the podcast, and we have talked about it in different conversations, but today the whole conversation is specifically on that. We have an expert with us. We have Tony Russo, and Tony is a specialist nurse with over 20 years experience and practice in obesity management. And Tony was also diagnosed with ADHD last year so she really understands sort of the intersection between the both. So Tony's based in London, works freelance for lots of different um, companies and I'm just delighted to have you here Tony because I want to ask lots of questions and I know you know most of the answers Um, so welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Tony tell me a little bit about what led you to your diagnosis but also maybe what you were seeing sort of in common with some of the patients that you were also helping did you notice there was a common threads between you both uh, no it was quite bizarre how I was found looking back now it was so obvious years ago but I didn't really know anything about ADHD and if you asked me two years ago what ADHD was I'm ashamed to say I would have said it's the naughty boy in the playground kicking off but I think once I referred to it as badly behaved child syndrome Mm. And now I'm like punching myself in the face to think I even thought that way. But, you know, that that was the basis of what I was told. So, I mean, if I just tell you a little bit, I grew up in a family, a fairly happy family. I mean, a bit dysfunctional, but that was of its time. Um, five of us were overweight and pretty significantly overweight, but we just thought we were big boned or we just liked big portions. I didn't think much about that. Um, I got to sort of the age of 18, got to nurse training, was considerably bigger, um, lied about my weight on the form to actually get past the health screening. um, And I was without question the largest girl in my class. Now, prior to this, while I was at school, I wasn't naughty, but I was always being told to sit down and shut up. I was constantly interrupting and constantly talking. And so I always remember this fear of, I was always in trouble. I always thought I was in the doghouse. So if a grown-up ever said, you know, come here, Tony, I'd think, oh, what have I done now? You know, and I just thought that was normal. And I thought maybe that was just me. My mum was a teacher, an amazing woman. She didn't believe in dyslexia. She thought it was an excuse. And she was of her time. But because I had my mum helping me, you know, I achieved everything. But it got to about secondary school. And up until secondary school, I'd been a year ahead of my age. Mm. And then all of a sudden, 
I was actually not struggling to keep up, but I was very, very much felt that I was not as clever as the others. And so I had to work that much harder. And then I got to the point where I couldn't really do that that much harder anymore. I just sort of zoned out a little bit. And so I I got okay O-levels as they were then and completely failed my A-levels, completely failed them, didn't do the work. And I just put it down to being lazy and disinterested. Mm. Got through my nurse training fairly easily. But when people were going off doing academic courses and degrees, I did a couple of courses. In fact, I did a postgrad diploma and I started doing a master's and it was just getting the work done. It wasn't that it was hard. I just didn't want to do it. And I was always the sort of living everything till the very last minute. And I'd somehow always get through. And then it just became too difficult. So I, I gave it up and I thought, yes, again, you're just lazy again. And then at that time, I was looking after people that had gastric bands. And this is a weight loss procedure where people need to have their gastric band adjusted every so often. And that involves a hospital appointment where we stick a needle into their tummy and inject some fluid. And the um, one of the ladies that I saw, and, and she tells people about this, so this isn't secret, is Sarah Thompson, who is, is well known in the field of um, ADHD. And she said to me one day, you know, you've got ADHD, don't you? And I thought it was hilarious. And I said, yeah, of course I have. And then a few years later, she said it again. And then um, two years ago, I started to worry because I was getting so forgetful. One of my colleagues said, oh, it's your menopause. I'd read an article in a magazine and I suddenly thought, oh, my God, I'm getting early dementia. And I really believed it. And Sarah happened to ring me for something. And I said, look, Sarah, I'm not in a good place today. I'm really worried. And she went, it's ADHD. I'm telling you it's ADHD. Indulge me. Will you just do the screening test online? And I thought, nothing to lose. And as I'm going down the screening test, I'm thinking, hmm, hmm, hmm. So um, I thought, well, maybe I am. So I, um, she convinced me, and I had a little bit of money saved up, so she convinced me to get a, a formal diagnosis. And part of that formal diagnosis was to send in some forms uh, with questionnaires. And also I had to do like a series of like computer games, uh, interactive computer games. And I can remember getting really frustrated trying to do them. There were lots of them were moving targets and they were time related. I've never been great with timers. And I was getting really frustrated and couldn't do it. And in the end, I ended up crying. And I thought, why can't I do this? And I thought, when I go for my first appointment, they're going to think I'm a complete idiot. So the day I turned up for my face-to-face, I'd been in there five minutes and I just burst into tears. And he was, oh, you know, what's the matter? And I said, look, I'm so embarrassed, but I know you're going to think I'm really stupid. And he said, well, actually, I've looked at your tests and it comes out for intelligence. You're actually higher than average. What you've come out for is somebody that doesn't like being under pressure with time. And and it's the application. And this just proves. And it was the most enormous weight of relief being lifted off my shoulders. And I suddenly thought, well, I'm not stupid. And maybe I could have done these things. Once I got that initial diagnosis, it was bittersweet, really. There was a lovely feeling about, oh, it's not just me being an idiot. And then the other side was if only we'd known how life might have been. But I think that it's not overly healthy to think that way because you just start recriminating yourself and and other people. And I think the people around me were a product of their day. A lot of the the stuff about ADHD, she wasn't known then, you know, Mm. so you can't diagnose something you don't know about. So I thought, well, what can I do to make things better for the future? And so I started medication and that was just, I mean, it's not a magic bullet without Mm. a doubt. But it has made a massive difference. I still can't ever remember names. I'm terrible with names. Um, and I've learned to do things that help me. So 
it's a standard joke I say to people never give me a piece of paper because it will be gone in seconds so everything goes on my phone I have alerts I've got you know the apple watch that alarms and somebody put on the internet the other day I thought it was such a clever idea I used to do sort of three and four alarms in the morning when I woke up and, and it was just an annoying alarm and somebody said change the alarm to a different sound and you can name the alarm so it flashes up on the screen get washed get ready to leave and this was like wow this is amazing because instead of just an annoying buzzing in the background that mm. you can, and instead of saying well it, I, I can never get to work on time leave earlier yeah so you know I'm not saying that I'm perfect now but it has made a lot of difference to how I feel about myself. I've still got the rejection sensitive dysphoria, which is getting better, but I still have this sense of always being in the doghouse. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, I mean, firstly, thank you for sharing your story. Do you mind me asking how old you were when you, you got your diagnosis? Um, well, I'm 58 now, so 57. Right, okay. Really so late. It's a yeah. long time to not yeah. understand, isn't it? I mean, I hear this so often. I mean, your story is obviously unique for you, but it's this it's so common this thread of just this penny dropping and i think your perspective is very pragmatic that you know you sort of you can't look back and you know people only knew what they knew then but sometimes that process can be really hard of like going through and looking back and the grief and the sadness and the resentment and all the things that sort of come up. But as you say, you know, we can't change anything. We have to move forward and find tools and, and strategies and new lifestyle, you know, hacks to help us. But what is interesting is that, um, you know, when you said Sarah, did you mean Sarah Templeton? Oh. Yes. Okay. So, yes. Yeah, so Sarah Templeton, who's been on the podcast, um, is fantastic at oh, spotting she's... ADHD in people. And the amount of stories I've heard uh, her tell of people that she sort of spots in all walks of life. And she is, I would say, she's sort of like almost like a 100% success rate. She's like a guru. And she, um, I mean, her support group is extraordinary. I mean, I live in West London. And I go to her support group in Gerard's Cross on the first Monday of every month. And in fact, it doesn't take that long, to be honest. But I've learned more at that support group, just listening to normal people. Mm. And she does get experts in as well. But you've got a cross section there. You've got people from one end of the spectrum that's like a headmistress of a special needs school. And then at the other end, you've got people that have been in and out of jail that maybe academically didn't achieve very much. Mm. People that have been in the criminal justice system. And everybody's super supportive of each other. And even the people that you don't feel you've got anything in common with, you'll relate to what they're saying. And yeah. some of the things they've come up with, it's just profound. You just, I always leave there feeling so positive. That's really interesting. So that, that power of connection of all of you feeling like you've all had your own lives and all different experiences, but that commonality of a really understanding of how ADHD can present and the challenges, you're right, is incredible for, I think it's incredible to be able to kind of just see yourself in someone else and see and then support each other and, and help each other, you know, as adults as well, because it is difficult, you know, in our 40s, 50s, 60s to suddenly get this new awareness and this new understanding. But it can also be, be you know, incredibly profound, like you say. You're really supportive, you know, when parents come in and their child's newly diagnosed yeah. or sort of somebody comes in that's early 20s or younger, newly diagnosed. And everybody kind of makes a beeline for them because we all want that to have been what we got. Yeah. And they get enormous support. Yeah. So have you noticed ADHD in your family now that you, were you the first oh, yeah. one in your family to, to receive the diagnosis? Oh, and my mother, without question, had ADHD. Yeah. Uh, she was another one, always terrified of getting into trouble, um, very self-critical. 
I've got a niece who last year, interestingly, was diagnosed, she's now 28, she was diagnosed with dyslexia. And it was a colleague said to me once that um, neurodiversities and sexually transmitted infections hunt in packs. You seldom get one without another. And so if you've got um, dyslexia, you are highly likely to have ADHD as well. Mm. And I look at her now, and of course, I never picked it up when I was younger because I, I didn't really know anything about it, but it's now very obvious. It really is obvious. And I've clearly got dyspraxia. I mean, I, I, I spoke at a conference recently, which was a big deal for me because, you know, I had a bit of anxiety and I thought, supposing it goes wrong, supposing they all think I'm rubbish, you know, the usual stuff that women have. And it had gone really well. And as I went to walk off the stage, I managed to trip on some fresh air and fell down the steps. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't hurt myself, but thankfully they just dipped the lights. So it was only <laughs> but I sort of managed to walk and pretending that nothing was wrong. <laughs> you styled it out. It was... <laughs> I mean, I totally, totally relate. Um, and I see this, you know, with one of my daughters, these bangs and bruises and everything. You know, I literally can walk through a doorway and like fall into the, you know, into the door for no reason. Um, and, and like you say, you know, we now know that if someone's diagnosed with dyslexia, dyspraxia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia, it's very often there's going to be something else going on. It's never just dyslexia. And I think that in itself, people don't even know about, you know, like they're sort of, Right, they get the diagnosis for dyslexia, but it's not ticking all the boxes. It's like, well, what, what else? And it's very often ADHD alongside, you know, dyslexia. So I'm just interrupting today's podcast just to give you a bit of an update on the different events and workshops that I've got going on. I don't want you guys to miss anything. So you may have seen on social media that I have an exclusive event with ADHD Pioneer. She's a psychotherapist and author, Sari Solden. She's been on the podcast. It was about a year ago and she is incredible. She's written numerous books, um, but her book, um, which has been pretty much on my desk ever since I started coaching ADHD women, A Radical Guide for Women with ADHD. PhD is incredible. And I recommend this to so many people who've just been diagnosed. So when she came on the podcast a few, well, it was a year ago, I said to her, I would absolutely love to do an event with you. And finally it's happened. So this is happening on the 19th of October at 7 p.m. UK time. And we're going to be doing a live conversation, interview, but also a Q&A. So if you show up live and you're there, you will get the opportunity to ask Sari anything you want with regards to neurodivergence, ADHD, and really kind of tapping into her knowledge and wisdom because she's seen it all in her 35 years of being a psychotherapist in this area. So all the details are going to be on my website adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk that's also going to be on today's show notes please head to those links and I promise you you will not be disappointed with this conversation with someone who really knows her stuff and has all the answers I hope for anyone that's just starting this journey with ADHD and also if you head to my website you'll get an update on a nervous system four-part workshop that I have created and this is all based on polyvagal theory so if you are interested in help with regulating, calming, soothing your nervous system, that you really notice that you live in a very sort of hypervigilant, sympathetic um, state of being in this sort of place where you don't quite feel settled and you want to be able to find new practical tools and daily practices to help calm and regulate, I would highly recommend you have a look at the workshop series and see if it's for you. There's only a few places left. 
And finally, just to let you know, the hormone series is still going strong. I can't get over how many people have downloaded it. And I'm adding new content right now. We've got two new speakers that are just going in, Kate Shepard-Cohen and Nicola Harker. Nicola is a doctor and she specializes in self-compassion. And Kate Shepard-Cohen created the Menstrual Cycle Support Resource, which is going into over 500 GP surgeries as we speak. Both incredible women who know their stuff, who really understand the neurodivergent women, the impact of hormones and how we can help ourselves through these challenging times. So all the information is on my website, adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk. Now back to today's episode. So you obviously, you know, academically, you found it challenging, but you've obviously gone on and you've had um, a very successful career doing what you do in a field that sounds complex for on lots of different levels. And, you know, obviously this conversation today, I want to talk about this correlation between ADHD and obesity. What are you noticing now that you have this ADHD lens um, that I guess you, you didn't have throughout most of your career. And what do you sort of see now that you have this this extra layer of understanding with regards to obesity and ADHD? I see a lot of the self-recrimination. So particularly, I mean, when somebody typically comes along um, for weight loss surgery, for example, and regardless of what the, the government rules are about qualifying for weight loss surgery, in most areas, you can't really get through the door unless you've got a body mass index of 50 or above. So you've got to be pretty heavy to qualify for weight loss surgery. And at that stage, the majority of those patients are women and they all feel very guilty. How have I allowed myself to get to this stage? It's disgraceful. And then if anything happens to me, what's going to happen to my children? You know, and if they can't work, I'm a burden on the state. I can't work. The influence is having on my kids. And what we used to do um, in weight loss surgery was do like a little psychological appraisal. And it was usually for binge eating disorder. And that didn't really show up that many because a lot of people don't typically have binge eating disorder. But what a lot of people do have, what I now do, if I see anybody now, I do the screening test for ADHD at the first appointment, which takes 10 minutes max. And some people, you know straight away they're not, but some people you can see the threads. And I usually raise the subject with them and say, had you thought of this? And sometimes particularly because of the recent TV programme, they go, no, everybody's on the bandwagon now. You know, everybody's got a bit of ADHD, which they haven't. But some people said this might be an issue. It might be worth considering. So if, if perhaps somebody's serious, then I will go through and I'll even download the right to choose letters for them, fill them in for them. But I think the difficulty you get with ADHD is the compulsion. And, you know, sometimes you know you shouldn't do something, but you just can't help. You know, like, you know when you're desperate to go out and you've got a time, but you're still playing Candy Crush. Yeah. You just one more game, just one more game. And you know you're going to be late. And I think like, for me, I was very, I got into obesity because I was very living with obesity. So I got to nearly 22 stone. So I had weight loss surgery, gosh, 20 something years ago. And I, I lost the bulk of my weight. And then I had revision surgery. But I always stayed at about um, a stone more than I am now. And I didn't want to get obsessed with weighing. So I'd wait until my clothes got a little bit tight. But it was always still a struggle. And I knew I was never going to be able to get this out of my head. And I'd, I kind of quite compulsive. There are certain foods I just wouldn't have in the house because I can't moderate. I can't have one or two biscuits. I want the whole packet. And then when I started my ADHD medication, my appetite went. And before I knew it, I dropped a stone. And I suddenly thought, what's going on here? And at that point, I thought, you know what? Why are we doing these operations on people 
when there are other alternatives. And I'm not saying for one second that weight loss surgery is wrong or there isn't a place for it. But I do actually wonder if a lot of people now have undiagnosed ADHD. And particularly the warning bells will be those that have maybe had a history of drug misuse or um, alcohol misuse in the past. Because you often get this transference, don't you, where if you give up alcohol, you turn to smoking, you go out smoking, you turn to something else. We very seldom just give up a habit. We tend to want to replace it yeah. with something else. And so that, for me, was a link. So I tried to do some research, and there were a few inferences, but not too much. And I presented at a conference, and I thought nobody was going to be interested. And I was really shocked that people were going, do you know what? There might be something in this. And so I kind of really got this bug. It's a great ADHD habit, isn't it? Because now I've got this obsession with investigating this. And I kind of almost want to go out like a, what's the word? A missionary, is it a missionary? I want to go out and say to people, this is great. The service you're offering is fantastic. But, you know, people are having to wait two years for surgery anyway. So we're not wasting Mm. any time. Why don't we sort of sort these people out first? The ones that have ADHD, we can treat. Mm -hmm. And it'll either work with the medication, and if it doesn't, it may make them more able to follow the instructions. Nobody puts themselves through an operation meaning to cheat. Nobody willfully cheats. Nobody wants to regain that weight again. But we know that 60% of people at five years have regained a significant amount of the weight that they lost, regardless of which operation they had, who did it, and in what country. So our body are fighting constantly against us to make us regain that weight again, which is nothing yeah. to do with ADHD. But if we can remove the the compulsion to eat, that's an enormous release to people. And now I don't really think about food. I, I, I eat when I want it and I don't eat when I don't want it. You know, like when you're, I'm literally sort of just like listening, just thinking it's like a no brainer, isn't it really? Because like you, you're explaining the ADHD brain, this sort of dopamine stimulating, seeking part of our brain that you write this a compulsion. And when people sort of say, oh, I've got, haven't got any willpower, I'm so weak and I've got an addictive personality and all these different things. And there's so much shame there, but actually when they understand that it's a part of their brain that is predisposed to this. And like you say, the, the addiction or the addictive part is going to just transfer to something else. So unless we actually sort it at its root, and like you say, with ADHD medication, very often that sort of self-medicating part, that self-soothing, the, the seeking, the stimulation seeking is dissipated using the medication, which feels a much more cost-effective and much healthier way of um, treating patients. And, you know, here in the UK, the obesity is probably one of the biggest health crises that we've got going on. You know, diabetes, I don't even know how much it's costing the NHS, but I know it's billions. So it's almost feels like, why, why is this only just being spoken about? Like, why are professionals that have been working in this industry for so long not targeting the brain with medication as opposed to sort of just thinking, right, let's just, let's go in for sort of this weight loss surgery. So when you did this presentation, which sounds, you know, fascinating, how did people react who had never really considered this, who maybe don't understand neurodivergence, don't understand ADHD, and maybe don't even understand the interplay between that and binge eating, obesity, you know, food compulsion? Well, I think, I think what happened, well, first of all, I I said at the beginning, um, not because I didn't want people to be mean to me, because I don't mind if people argue with me, but I said I did this because I've been diagnosed. Mm. I wanted them to see someone that they perceived as normal and not naughty, that they might might listen. But 
when I started to say, how can we relate this to our own personal practice? And I wasn't saying don't not operate because that's not the way thing to say to surgeons. I think they realized that this could actually, our outcomes could be better. We could be more successful and get better outcomes. I mean, for me, for example, I had a, a road traffic accident um, six, seven years ago and I fractured my femur. I came for a motorbike. And a year later, I was still taking OxyContin, you know, which is one of the most addictive drugs on earth. And I suddenly realized I couldn't stop taking it. And I was like, the tiniest dose. It wasn't giving me a high. Part of it was probably fear. And I actually had to pay a psychiatrist to supervise me coming off. But clearly, there is the what we used to call, I've got an addictive personality, may actually now be us being more astute and going, actually, maybe they've got ADHD. Correct. And maybe that's what we need to look at. And I see so many people with ADHD with struggling with alcohol. Yeah. We had um, an amazing woman on a few months ago talking about alcohol dependence um, and addiction and, and ADHD. And again, she was in her late 40s. She'd been struggling in and out of um, rehab. And it was only, you know, much further down the line did she, she know. And she's now been able to take medication and she's not been drinking um but you know for for that her to have been in and out of different rehab f- facilities and no one mentioned adhd is kind of like why is the mental health um industry why are the professionals not seeing this as almost like a first line like you say the screening takes 10 minutes mm. and you know again we'll talk about sarah templeton is that she is um spearheading campaign of anyone that goes through the criminal justice system gets that screening 10 minutes again it's not a formal diagnosis but it's understanding and it's a recognition of okay this is the playing field that we're working with um and you know how can we help them can we get them fast track them through to get them help and medication and it should be the same in your profession it should be the same with anything to do with drugs and alcohol um and i hope that things are changing i really do and there's a lot more conversation going on now and awareness I guess when you sort of do that initial screening with your patients and they get almost that, that penny dropping moment, how do they react? And have you had moments where they're just like, I can't believe that this is what it's been. I had one woman who just burst into tears and cried for five minutes. And then I thought, oh my God, what have I done? I've opened a real Pandora's box here. And she was just for somebody to tell me that I'm not just a, a stupid person that can't control their willpower. Um, what you do have to do is manage people's expectations because first of all, they've got to get past the GP. And GPs aren't mean, GPs aren't there to stop you being well. But the thing is, people do get an idea in their head sometimes about an illness which they may not have. And I think you have to manage people's expectations because a lot of people think, well, I'll get an ADHD diagnosis, I'll get drugs and the whole world's gonna be different. I'm gonna be clever and everybody's gonna like me. And you know, medication works differently for different people. And it's a long drawn out period of time. And sometimes medication may not suit you at all. And some people don't want to take meds and that's absolutely fine. But I do think that it can be quite powerful just to know then you can work with it. And of course, there are other advantages. If you've got an ADHD diagnosis, you can claim access to work from the government, which is a benefit that can really make your life easier. And it's not like, oh, it's another benefit you're paying out to people. It's serious practical stuff like coaching, um, noise cancelling headsets, stuff to make enable you to work as well. It's like if somebody's got a leg missing, it's like giving them a prosthesis. You're not giving them money, but you're helping them to have the same advantages as somebody that has two legs. You know, it, it's more like you're getting a level playing field. So there are various advantages to knowing. Mm-hmm. 
I agree with you. And I think, you know, again, if they don't know it's there and you're then offering them this sort of this new way of looking at the world and helping themselves and asking for the accommodations, I always think it's worth it. Yes, the the reaction may be emotional or there may be sort of disbelief or cynicism there. I mean, I can understand, you know, like you said, that there's, oh, everyone's jumping on this bandwagon. And even this morning, I, you know, I turned on my phone and there was a thing from the Daily Mail, another one of those horrendous articles of, ADHD diagnoses have hit the roof and is this due to celebrities speaking out? It was just horrendous. It was just another sort of gaslighting article of making people believe that they're just jumping on a celebrity bandwagon when actually what's happening is that it's a much more common you know, condition than people believe. And it shows up quite differently in different people, but it's not a bandwagon because, you know, if you think about the amount of people that suffer with obesity, they suffer with disordered eating, um, addiction issues, emotional dysregulation, anxiety, depression. If you think about that, it's quite, you know, we, within my group of friends, it's probably one in five, one in seven. And I do, and those are pretty much the stats that we're thinking, you know, we're talking about. Maybe we each other. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's the thing is when one of us gets diagnosed in a friendship group, very often it's sort of like a bit of a dominoes effect as well, isn't it? Because we're more likely to be friendly with other neurodivergent people as well or be married to them or or whatever. I saw a lady the other day who in the past had, had been very, very overweight. And then in her 20s, she'd moved to London. She'd got a cocaine habit, lost a load of weight, come off the cocaine and turned to alcohol and still remained quite small. And she'd come off the alcohol and has been sober for a year, which is magnificent. She did the testing and she looks quite high for ADHD. Went to her GP with the results and his words to her, you've got an addictive personality. Do you think it's fair on your family, talk about guilt tripping, that you're going to maybe get diagnosed for a condition that's going to give you speed? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <sighs> I, just, I just can't because... That just, it, it makes my blood boil because they are the gatekeepers. And like you say, you no, know, listen, GPs are doing the best they can. And I know a lot of GPs listen to this and it's incredible because they are listening because they are struggling with resources themselves or they're listening because they want to help their patients. Or there's quite a lot of GPs out there with ADHD themselves and they're struggling with the paperwork, the admin, they're struggling with sort of the day-to-day sort of just sitting in an office and they are kind of, you know, they're or they're burning out. They, you know, really are, this is what I'm, I'm, I'm hearing. But with regards to the GPs that are not willing to open their eyes and they're not willing to sort of start thinking outside of the box a little bit, that really upsets me because what happens is people come to me and build up this um, confidence, but also courage to go into their GP. You know, they may have been sitting on information and little articles and podcasts and all this. And they finally, you know, drop me a message and say, you know, I think I've got ADHD. What do I do now? And I say, go and speak, make an appointment, speak to your GP, but advocate for yourself. Make sure you have done an online, you know, assessment form. Make sure you have maybe like listed some things, kept a little bit of a journal because unfortunately, if we don't go armed with a little bit of evidence or something to back up our, our claim, it can often just be dismissed. And I, I wish- GP, how's the GP determine? Because at the end of the day, remember if it's ADHD, it will have started in childhood. Exactly. So if you've just been like this for the last year or two, that could be something else. 
And of course, a lot of people get misdiagnosed with bipolar, but it could go the other way as well, couldn't it? Because if you've got bipolar and you've got the ADHD symptoms, they might apply to you. So, you know, the GPs do know this. And I think that, you know, you do have to manage people's expectations because if you take um, right to choose out of the equation, in my area, if I went to my GP tomorrow, I mean, I have a great GP, but if I went to my GP surgery and they referred me on the NHS, I'd be looking at a three-year wait. And they do have to manage that for people and say, do you realise it? You know, it's going to be a tricky road. They just need to understand that. So someone who's listening now and they are really relating to maybe your sort of type of patient where, you know, obesity for them has been a, a lifelong struggle and they've maybe seen it in their family. Maybe weight loss surgery has been a consideration for them. What, where would you direct people? Like what would be your your channel for them to go through now they have also got that ADHD awareness would you say get that diagnosis um, I'll get on the on the list for ADHD because you don't know even with you know right to choose they say six months it's getting longer because these people can't cope with the service you you're not wasting any time use the time you're waiting so you wait for ADHD and you also wait for obesity treatments there is a middle ground at the moment that if people um, are living with a BMI of greater than 30 they may well qualify for medical treatment with sort of GLP-1 drugs, which are the drugs like Azempic. Now, they are fantastic drugs that have been used extensively for obesity, uh, sorry, for diabetes. And we now know they work well for obesity at higher doses. And one of them, which is the, Ozempic is the lower dose, and there's a higher dose called Wigovi, um, which is going to be given to people living with obesity. However, again, managing expectations, they can't produce enough, there is a worldwide shortage. So regardless of what people see in ads, it's probably going to be at least six months before these drugs become widely available in the UK. But for a lot of people, they are transforming. And that may well be the answer for some people. So I would say get referred for everything and see what comes first, because none of them are mutually exclusive. Nobody says to you with ADHD, you're on the pathway for weight loss surgery, so we're not going to treat you. And you may well find as you're going along that you think, actually, this is more of an ADHD thing. And that's fine. But I would say, take all the help you can get. That's why I believe. But just be mindful if you see adverts. So if you see adverts at the moment, we've got a Zempic in. You see it all the time. And when you phone them up, they haven't got it in, but they want to add you to their database for when it does. And these are private ads. So people will know when this drug is launched in the UK. Okay, no, thank you for that. Because first of all, I'm not hugely familiar with any of these drugs. And I did see an article about um, a sort of a, a weight loss um, or a su appetite suppressant drug. And is this, I presume this is kind of what we're talking about. Well, they're injections and what, yes. they're usually once a week or some are once a day. And they're great, but we can't get them. Is, it, is this what Boris Johnson had? I feel like I read about it. Yeah. And then he said it made him very ill though or something. It can do. And you can feel a bit lousy for the first couple of weeks and it usually passes. For some people, it, it, it just doesn't work for them. Uh, well, some people, they just feel rubbish all the time. And there's a tiny percentage of people, about 5% of people, that it just doesn't work. And we don't know why. Mm. I mean, I guess it's with like ADHD medication as well. I mean, there's a huge amount of um, stigma, fear, you know, especially, listen, what the GP said to your your patient saying I'm going to put you on speed is that it's just lack of education and awareness but we also know that certain um, ADHD medications work brilliant for one for for one person and someone else can't tolerate them and that I think that just adds to the stigma and the taboo of ADHD of this you know you know medication sort of being um 
it, it obviously being some like some form of stimulant amphetamine, but also a lot of people sort of turn around and go, well, I had to come off it because it just didn't work for me. But it's also great to know that there's a lot of people that it's worked very well and it's really helped, you know, up their quality of life and it's helped them maintain a good career, relationships. And I have always said on the podcast that I'm very pro-choice with medication and I'm very sort of happy to help people with lifestyle and uh, mindset and emotional sort of tools and strategies if medication isn't for them but also to bolster their medication with that as well and really offer people as much autonomy as they can with you know regards to their ADHD diagnosis medication journey so I mean you said yourself that you're on medication but it's not a magic bullet are you finding that you're happy happier and living a better quality life on it though Oh, without question. In fact, I, I spoke to the guy that looks after me the other day and I said, I'm not sure it's working, you know. And he said, go without it for five days. And by day three, I'm like, I want it back, I want it back. And I was having this lull in the afternoons and I was actually on the maximum dose. And he said, try 500 milligrams to a gram of omega-3 oil at two o'clock in the afternoon. And I thought, oh, he's just making me feel better. And do you know, it works. I was astonished. It really does work. So there are a lot of great ideas out there um, and just tweaking it. And if you don't feel it's working, you know, maybe go a day without and then you'll realise that that it does work. If I give one piece of advice to healthcare professionals is I, I worked in NHS complaints, which was a very thankless job in the past. But there are two themes to every complaint, attitude and communication. And how you present somebody something to somebody makes an enormous difference. Like saying, well, you can't have it because you've got a bad heart, um, feels like you're telling somebody off. Whereas if you say to somebody, this drug that you like would not be suitable for you because it would aggravate your heart condition, but there are alternatives and we're going to give them a try. You know, it's just how you phrase things. Or you may get referred and you may this may not be your problem. It may be a different condition, but we can go along that path if you like. Just, just not saying no to people all the time, because the minute you say no, it, it, it adds to the RSD and it makes you already feel that you're in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. And also, there are always alternatives. I do believe that, I mean, I've spoken to people who have tried, you know, two or three different types of medication until they, they get that right one well, that really works for them. So yeah, it's like you say, it's exactly how it's delivered. And, it, and unfortunately, there's some great doctors and there's some not so great doctors, amazing psychiatrists. We had um, Dr. Helen Reed on the podcast a few weeks ago and she was incredible because she really helped um, clarify how we can tweak our medication and blend it with different medications or pull back at certain times and ramp it up at different times. And again, it's like giving us, the patients, a bit of autonomy and really feeling like we are in control as opposed to sort of handing everything over and and that, that we, we're not able to make decisions because I think when especially with ADHD if we're able to sort of choose and feel that we are we're able to get involved in, in those decisions it definitely feels I think it feels much better for our self-esteem but also it just helps give us confidence moving forwards and making those choices that are right for us on the bigger scheme you know knowing when to pull back from certain things when burnout's kicking in when we are able to use our energy and that's you know a lot of what I do with with women is really sort of utilizing um those internal re resources that we have and you know, boosting and bolstering them. So, um, so yeah, but I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming in today, Tony, because I think what this conversation I hope has brought to people is for them to start connecting 
even more dots and for them to understand um, that, you know, the obesity issues that they've had and the, and, uh, the challenges that they faced with food throughout their life is, is never been their fault. Um, and there are, you know, there are ways, ways to help. I mean, what would you, where would you direct people now if they're just listening, ADHD is new to them and they do really want to get help um, with regards to sort of eating, um, eat, disordered eating, but also maybe bariatric surgery or speaking to a specialist. Is there anywhere, any websites, any charities that you could direct people to? At the moment, I don't think there's anything that, that links the two, although I'm I'm thinking with Sarah of setting one up. We're, we're going to do one with her Headstuff charity. So although you know, it's a business, but there will be free information on there that will direct people to other resources. But I think in terms of ADHD, I always say ADHD UK because it's, it's not affiliated with a business. Mm-hmm. So you're going to get completely independent stuff um but you know i'm trying to get the message out there so that we get some links on there so hopefully within the next six months it'll become more mainstream and there'll be links there and i'm hoping there's there's a group called the british obesity and metabolic surgery society or or known as bombs and i'm trying to get a link for adhd on there even if it's just to the adhd uk page just so people acknowledge that there may be a link and that's something i'm working hard towards at the moment Fantastic. Okay. Well, I'll make sure those links are on the show notes. And if anyone wants to contact you, you know, if there is, because I think what you're trying to do there is you're trying to um, create some form of medical research or evidence based that there is this direct link and that people are, that ADHD screening can really be sort of that first, first line. You know, the fact that you said you're doing it with your patients, wouldn't it be amazing if all nurse, nurses, surgeons, doctors that work in this field was just like, right, here's a 10 minute quick assessment form. Do you mind just filling it in? And that's just kind of standard. Um, So I'm just wondering if anyone that is listening today, that perhaps they've got any great contacts they can con- you know speak to you tony what I'll how would they my, i'll send you my email address and okay. i can't promise i get back immediately what i'll probably do is get a fact sheet with the most common questions but i will get back to everybody it just might it might take a week before i do it that's fine all the facts together great okay well thanks so much for your time tony really great talking to you cheerio Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. I hope you found what you were looking for in this conversation and it's helped guide you towards some further self-healing, self-exploration and most importantly, self-acceptance. And if you have enjoyed this conversation and would like to experience more of my work, such as access to exclusive live workshops and opportunities for group coaching sessions, connecting with other like-minded women, and a general feeling of belonging, please come and check out my monthly membership, the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Collective. I've made it as affordable as possible, and I offer you lots of resources and opportunities for connection and support from other women all around the world being diagnosed with ADHD later on in life. I'd absolutely love to see you there. All the details are in this episode's show notes or on my website, adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk. See you in the next episode.